welcome to Ed Leader with your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Join Dr. Jackson for conversations and reflections on improving educational leadership from the classroom to the boardroom and beyond. Educational leadership is an ever-evolving opportunity to make a real and lasting difference in the lives of students, parents, and the community. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Hi friends, welcome to the seventh episode of Ed Leader. I'm your host, Rob Jackson, and I want to thank you for spending time with me today. Our Ed Leader community continues to grow with new listeners daily, including our first listener from China this past week. Speaking of China, I'm certainly keeping all of those impacted by the coronavirus in my thoughts and prayers. As you listen to today's episode, I would love for you to be a part of the conversation by sharing your thoughts and comments on Twitter or Instagram at EdLeaderPod or on Facebook at EdLeaderPodcast. You can also find show notes at drrobjackson.com. Let's get to it. I'm incredibly excited to be sitting down today with two amazing Ed Leaders. The three of us have worked closely together as thought partners and mentors in our state's aspiring superintendent program. The program is in its fourth year and is designed for senior ed leaders who are considering moving into the superintendency. As I have worked with my guests over the years, I've been impressed by their thoughtful approach to educational leadership and by their desire to help others grow in their careers. My first guest is Dr. Pam Baldwin, the superintendent of the Chapel Hill Carborough City School System, a former science teacher, assistant principal, principal, director of teaching and learning, and assistant superintendent, Dr. Baldwin is known for her leadership and expertise, particularly in the areas of instructional leadership and equity. Also joining me is Dr. Ron Hargrave, the superintendent of Scotland County Schools. A collegiate athlete and a veteran, Dr. Hargrave is known as a leadership guru, having served as a deputy superintendent in a large school district, assistant superintendent, middle school principal, and as a high school business teacher and coach. Welcome, Pam. Welcome, Ron. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So the opportunity for me to sit down with two of my colleagues, more than that, two of my friends, two incredible educational leaders whose voices are well-respected and highly regarded across the state is certainly a privilege and an honor. And so I certainly appreciate the gift of time that you're both giving to educational leaders and those who may aspire to educational leadership. Each of us serve as superintendent in a district that we came to as superintendent. And so one of the things that was very important for us was to have a healthy respect for the culture that preceded us. And so I'd like to talk for a little bit about maybe some of the thought processes you had as you went into the district to get to know the culture, the importance of the culture that existed, and just kind of start with there. So Pam, let's start with you. Talk to us about getting to know the culture in your district. Sure, I think the most important component is really just listening and not making any assumptions, finding those leaders, either formal or informal, that help you understand and navigate that culture. It's not to bring in your own ideas about what the culture is. Oftentimes, 
what you hear outside of a district or an organization is not actually what's happening. And so really just being open and listening way more than you talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ron? You know, I think in order to be a successful superintendent, you first must be effective. And before you can be effective, you must understand the culture in which you're working. As Dr. Baldwin said, you know, coming from the outside, really important to listen. Absolutely. And to find out those things which are held dear in a district and just to kind of see where where things are before you begin to, to talk too much or begin to make any decisions. Absolutely. You know, it goes back to when we were children, we were told... We have two ears and one mouth. We should listen twice as much as we speak. As you started those conversations to be able to have something to listen to, what are the types of questions you ask? Baldwin, what what were you asking when you arrived? Yeah, I think some of the easiest questions are just what's going on? What do you like about what's happening in the district? Um, What are some areas that we could maybe um, dig a little deeper and maybe try to improve? What are some of your ideas on what things we should or should not be doing? Again, those open-ended questions give you an opportunity to really listen and not make any assumptions. They're not leading questions, and so you hopefully will get some really honest answers from a lot of different stakeholders. And so when I talk about stakeholders in a school district, student voice is critically important. And so really finding out what's happening in the classrooms, the most important place in the district, but also talking to community leaders, talking to your board, obviously, talking to employees in the district is extremely important. So you don't want to miss any of those really critical stakeholders when you're trying to find out the full picture. Finding out those things that are celebrated, you know, when you ask people to think about our district, what are those things that you celebrate when you think about the district and those things that if you could make a, a change, what would you change? And Pam listed a, a list of stakeholders to talk to. And I think it's vitally important to add to that list of students. Absolutely. Because you want to hear their voice in the midst of all the other voices that you're taking into account. That's right. And especially early on, I think that we're probably more likely to ask those questions and listen to those answers. But We've all been superintendents about the same amount of time, roughly around six years or so. I would say, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, that it's just as important to be asking those same questions six years in as it was when we arrived. I agree. I, I think um, you know, continuous improvement requires that you do that. And so if you stop asking questions, especially when you're attempting to either make change or create some transformation in your district, and you stop asking questions, you're going to be in trouble. And so making sure that you're monitoring, often asking questions. We don't want to do things to people. We want to do things with people. And that means that you involve them in the conversation and make sure that they're around the table at all times. That's so powerful, doing things with people. And not for this to sound like an echo, but those are very important, what Dr. Baldwin said. You know, just making sure that, uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, but that's the point, right? That we continue to ask those questions and then ask questions about the questions we just asked so we really have that deep understanding. Right. Just make sure that we're operating with the mindset that we're never good enough. And, you know, if we're going to continuously try to improve every single day, every year, then those questions that we started out asking are just as important today as they were when we began this journey. I just want to also add that the impact and intent are something you continue to monitor, right? You, you think you're making an impact on some, a certain goal or stat, and when you actually dig in and have a conversation, maybe there's a different impact on certain groups, on the outcomes that you didn't intend. And so making sure that you're looking at your intent and talking about the intent, and then also then looking at the impact to make sure 
that the goals, the strategies that you're utilizing are giving you the results you intended. Absolutely. And, you know, you hit on something there, Dr. Baldwin, in terms of the multiple perspective, ensuring that we're really getting the perspective from all the various groups, groups that are the loudest groups, perhaps, and those groups who may not speak up. They're just as important, and making sure we're having those conversations and asking those questions becomes really important. You know, when you talk about those groups that won't speak up, oftentimes you find these may be people like your teacher assistants, your bus drivers, or your custodians, and they really have vital information. They really have a voice that we need to make sure that we're hearing and we're taking into account the things that they have to share because they have direct access to our children. They know everything that's going on in our buildings. And so we want to make sure that their voices are counted as well. Absolutely. And, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, the superintendent is one employee of many employees in the school district. But when the superintendent shows the value of someone's personage by going to the custodian and saying, how does this impact you, I want to hear from you, or going to the teacher assistant or the person in the cafeteria or the bus driver, I think it sends an important message to the entire district about how important every single person is and how we value every single voice and and the perspectives of all. And I think the key of what you just said definitely is going to. So we need to find ourselves at the bus garage. We need to go to the actual buses. We need to actually go and talk with in the workrooms in the schools and have those conversations in our neighborhoods. Um, we could do that from the district office. It would be ineffective. Um, and so making sure that we you know, get on our feet and move out into our community and move out to our important stakeholders, including our students, um, to make sure that we go to um, and we should not be expecting people to come to us. Absolutely. I just think that's absolutely crucial. What other characteristics or qualities do you look for when you're looking for a principal or a building leader in your school districts? I think it's important to find someone that understands the importance of listening and not just hearing words, but as you listen to, you know, try to understand the core of what someone is trying to share with you. Everybody everybody may not be as as articulate as, as we would like them to be, but they have a message. And if we listen carefully, we can understand the message that they're trying to share. I do think it's important that you're, you're, you're humble. We wouldn't be in leadership positions, and, and we're not going to hire people that don't have the intellectual ability to, to be in those positions. And, and I think people recognize that about leaders. But you need to be humble. You need to be a person that is approachable and someone that is willing to get their hands dirty. As Dr. Baldwin said earlier, we can sit in our offices and we can give all kinds of directives and all kinds of directions but it's important to be a part of the success that you're trying to build. It's important to have your hands in that vision that you're trying to create and ensure that, um, that you're not, you don't end up on this journey by yourself, that you're bringing all the stakeholders along with you. Probably another way to say it is that you're, you're allowing them to lead and you're following their direction to ensure that um, true success is not something that just happens in a, in patches, but it's uh, sustainable. And I would just add, the easy answer for me is instructional leadership because that's what I do. But I would say that maybe it looks different than just teaching and learning. I need to find a leader. We all need to find leaders who can create an environment which learning can happen. And that's just not knowing the content and knowing pedagogy. That's really understanding what students, what children need, and being able to support adults 
to make those things happen. And so in an interview process, I'd like to hear what that looks like, sounds like, feels like to that leader, creating an environment in which everyone is a learner, creating an environment where everyone is being supported in some way by another individual, and that that is critical to the mission. And so asking those questions around scenarios where they have created environments in which people feel like they can grow and be professional and support one another is extremely important. The best principals I know are principals who may not be the strongest instructionally, but can create an environment in which instruction, teaching, and learning happens in a way that is powerful for children so that they are successful in life and not just good at science. Absolutely. That, that ability to empower others, to release the strength of others in a way that they're all working together in a collaborative nature to, to be the servant leader. I mean, it's almost cliche to say servant leader, but really that's what I'm hearing from, from each of you, this going to lead by serving. I'm going to empower you and remove hurdles and remove barriers for our teachers to be able to go forward with instruction. I want someone that understands when they say all means all, that they really understand what they're saying. That success is not just a, a, a number that we collect at the end of the year after students have you know, taken a series of tests, but that success looks different for every child and that we're willing to ensure that every child has the opportunity to be successful in our schools and across our districts. You mentioned every child, Dr. Hargrave, and it's almost something else that becomes a cliche, right? Every single one, every single day, every single classroom. But we really, when we say every single one, we mean every single one. That's the beauty and strength of public education. Every child in our communities is invited into our public schools and we meet them where they are. And our job is to figure out how to support them so they can have the maximum individual success to maximize their abilities individually. And that's what we're really looking for. And so I think that it's not only finding those characteristics on the front end, but as Dr. Baldwin alluded to earlier, someone who continues to do that, has the grit to continue to do the work, continues to get out of their office, not just when they arrive in the building for the very first time, but on a consistent basis. Certainly, I've said before, you can tell if a principal is in their classrooms all the time, the first time you walk through the building with the principal. If the students are surprised or excited or their eyes light up because the principal's walking in the room, then it tells me the principal's not in this room very often. But when the students ignore the principal walking in the room, then the principal must be in the room quite often. How important is that, just being out and about in the building? Uh, Dr. Baldwin, instructional leadership, that's your forte. You're known for being an amazing instructional leader. But how important is presence in the classroom for a principal? I always say, I don't know how in the world you would lead an organization if you didn't know what product you were producing and what, how you were getting there. And so the only way to know that is to see it happening. That includes the superintendent, but also definitely includes our principals and all of our other instructional leaders in the district. And so being in the classrooms, being in the hallways, listening to students in their informal um, interactions as well is really important to understanding how to get at what you were just talking about, meeting them where they are. We should not be asking parents to get students ready for school. We should be ready for the students that show up at our schools. And looking at it from that lens, understanding that we're not looking at a deficit lens, we're looking at strengths, we're looking at gifts that all children bring to our schools. You do that through understanding that seeing what's happening in the environment matters. And so when you are in classrooms, in hallways, in the, on the playground, having conversations with children, you learn so much about them, you learn so much about what your instruction should look like, that it is critical that everyone involved in that process should be right where the work is happening, which is in the classroom. 
So one piece of culture I'd like to talk to talk about for just a moment is tradition. Now, I have, electronically anyway, a copy of a picture I absolutely love. The picture is of my good friend, Dr. Ron Hargrave. He is the superintendent of Scotland County Schools, home of the Fighting Scots. And Dr. Hargrave in this picture is actually directing the marching band, and he is standing there on the drum major's platform wearing a kilt as a fighting Scot. Now, I'm guessing that was probably the first time you'd ever put on a kilt, Dr. Hargrave. Maybe not, but you put it that on. That was the first time. Okay. <laughs> it was the first time. And so at a football game, you're wearing your kilt, directing the band. Why was that important from a tradition, from a cultural standpoint, for you to do that and be seen doing that, Dr. Hargrave? I think it was, it was very important because the, the band in Scotland County is known as the pride of Scotland County. The kilts represent the heritage of, of Scotland County. So in, in order to become a part of that, I had to become immersed in it and not be afraid or uncomfortable to put the kilt on and, and not only put it on, but to walk out in front of seven or 8,000 people and to get up on the stand and direct the band. It, it, was, it was a very humbling experience. It was a very exciting experience. And I thought it was a very connecting experience to be a part of. There was a lot of kudos that were given after that. But I think it opened up some, some doors of communication that if I had just stood on the sideline in a suit and not been engaged in that, there would have been people that would have kind of just stood away from that. But it gave me an opportunity to be engaged and, and to have the opportunity to talk to a lot more people. And the students thought it was the, just a great thing. Absolutely. Well, you visibly demonstrated your appreciation for tradition and the culture of the school and of the school district. It's really one of those moments where it really captures the importance and an opportunity to see here is someone showing respect for this culture and really demonstrating their appreciation for the culture. How important is tradition in your organization, Dr. Baldwin, and, and how important is it for superintendents and educational leaders to appreciate? Sure, I think in education in general, we're a very traditional organization of business. So it's, it's extremely important. I think it's important to understand the traditions. I think that traditions can be amazing. As a former high school principal, one of the most traditional entities in the world, um, you know how important they are for the student section and for mascots and things like that, um, football, obviously. But I, I also believe that they can sometimes be damaging and you have to understand where that um, line is. And as a leader, you need to also understand how you respectfully work on that with the, with the team. And that so, takes quite a bit of skill, doesn't it? It, it absolutely does. And I think uh, a lot of us have learned that either in, in the coaching arena or some kind of team sport arena um, mm -hmm. and working with your team to really address those unhealthy and healthy traditions in a way that's positive for everyone. So I would say in Chapel Carborough City Schools and every district I've been in, um, they're extremely important and you should be respectful of them. Try to understand, ask a lot of questions again to, to make sure you understand and participate when you are able to, as my colleague has indicated with his kilt. Um, I think that that's really important. You know, if you, if you have a student section, go in the student section. You know, talk with the students. Hang out with, with the faculty and staff at a ball game. Absolutely. You've got mail. Just when everything is going perfectly, someone makes a choice that lands squarely on your desk. What will you do and how will you handle it? It's time to check the inbox.
Oh, the bell has rung, and we have an inbox scenario just for the two of you. A principal or a new principal is going into the building, sitting down with you as superintendent before their first uh, movement into the building. What are the recommendations that you're making to this new principal as they're going into one of the schools in your district in terms of learning the culture or their own entry plan into the school. Dr. Hargrave, what would you be recommending to that new principal? I think one of the first things that a, a new principal would want to do is to gather all the data that they can easily get and begin to want to look at that data and dissect it and say, I've figured out what the problem is. If you're not careful, that's a, a mistake that you'll make. It goes back to what we've said in, at the beginning. You have to listen. You have to have conversations. The data is there. You always have access to the data, but you need to know those conversations behind the data. You need to ask you know, questions that begin with why and, and get people's perspective, uh, perspectives on what is going on in the building, how things operate, and again, involve the, the students in that conversation as well. But one of the worst things we can make as a leader is to go into any situation thinking that we figured it out and that we, we know what's going on before we've ever had the opportunity to sit down and talk with anyone. Yeah, I, I think it's fascinating sometimes when you talk to um, leaders and they talk about this big, bold vision um, without having any other information. And so I often chuckle when people ask me, what is your vision? First of all, it's not my vision, it's our vision. You cannot make a vision. You can make a kind of a broad conversation around a vision, generally about education. We obviously want all students to be successful. To truly have a vision, you have to understand the data and the stakeholders and the people in the organization. And so I would say very similar to what my colleagues just said, is to, to really listen and to build that vision with those who are impacted the most. And that is everyone in that building, including the community as well. And so having that conversation and letting people talk gives you all the data you need. And sometimes just sitting in a room and staying silent and listening to other conversations provides you the ability to begin to build a vision with them. And again, that goes back to if you walk into a building and you have in your mind what the vision is going to be, you're going to find yourself in a struggle Absolutely. because then you're trying to sell something. And it's not about selling. It's really about branding people with you and creating that vision together. And the only way to do that is to actually have them involved in creating it. You're exactly right. You know, that building together, that collaborative vision that we've created together, it seems like I'm hearing from both of you this need for a leader to approach a new situation really in a humble manner, right? We certainly want confident leaders, but we don't want cocky leaders, right? We want someone to come in and truly value the perspectives of the folks who've been in the building, particularly those who've been in the building for quite a while because they know the history, they know the traditions, they know, as you said, Dr. Hargrave, the why. Fifth grade scores weren't very good last year. Well, what you may not have known is that the teacher was going through a, a major life illness. But that wouldn't show up in the data that we might see just looking at numbers. But that why question you were referring to certainly would indicate that and would give us the opportunity to understand the data. But coming in in a humble fashion, I would think, is, is something that's important. Well, I tell you, I so appreciate your gift of time to educational leaders across the state. In my journey as a superintendent, I have been blessed to have colleagues and friends like the two of you, Dr. Hargrave, Dr. Baldwin, Ron, Pam, just being able to call you, to email you, to share with you, I am working through this particular thing and knowing that you're going to give me 
your very best advice, and it's always sound advice, means so much, and that's really the nature of education anyway, that collaboration. And so thank you so much, both of you, for your time, for all that you do to make a difference in so many lives, including mine. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much. enjoyed our time together with superintendents Dr. Pam Baldwin and Dr. Ron Hargrave. They certainly gave us much to think about, particularly the characteristics of great ed leaders and getting to know and respecting the culture of the school or district you are serving. You can follow Dr. Baldwin on Twitter at Dr. Pam Baldwin and Dr. Hargrave at Scotland SUPT. Thank you for spending time with me today and thank you for all that you do for every student every teacher, and every staff member. You are making a difference. If no one else has told you, I want you to know that I believe in you. Good day. Thank you for listening to the Ad Leader Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving a review with five stars on Apple Podcasts so that we may continue to grow the Ad Leader community. We hope that you have enjoyed your time with Dr. Jackson. Until next time.